Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, a vigorous weekend of Premier League derbies to get into. Liverpool's so solid crew in defence continues their record of clean sheets, but are they starting to wilt? Unai Emery's Arsenal may be more flexible than we have been led to believe, and it's farewell to Claudio Ranieri at Fulham, who didn't even make it to see this weekend's second-best West London derby. Meanwhile, it's hello to Brendan Rodgers at Leicester. There's a glut of great goals at Old Trafford and Crystal Palace continue to impress us. Plus, a trip around Europe taking in El Clasico and PSG's dominance, plus Juventus cruising to a title win and we even find time for some extended chat about footballing statues. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by your friend and mine, the tactile tactician. It's JJ Ball. How are you, JJ? Hello, Tom. I'm good. I had a nice busy weekend. Good. Out of 10? I'd give it a solid 10. Solid 10? It was great. Wow. I found a karaoke place I didn't know existed. Oh. And they even stayed open so that me and my pals could sing a Leanne Rhymes song. Leanne Rhymes. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Which one? How do I live? That is, uh, yeah. Was it that? Yeah. It was good. We're doing the harmonies and nailing it. This. Yeah. That is the angelic singing voice of Mina Razuki, our resident European football enjoyer. What's happening, Mina? Are you well? I'm well. I've been awake since about five. Oh, no. Yeah, I slept for about two hours. I've had a really crazy car journey. I've already done a show. So, yeah, I'm pretty much done for the day. You do other shows? I know. This it's weird, right? yeah. <laughs> Not sure about this. We're going to have to look at your contract. Completing our lineup, it's the boy wonder from the badlands of Surrey. It's Sam Dean. How are you, Sam? I'm very well. It's March, and March is my favourite month. It's, oh. it's a month of optimism, and winter's on its way out, and I'm just thinking that, you know... I feel like life's coming together now, quite nicely. Uh, at some point, perhaps at the end of the show, could you rank the months, please? Mm. <laughs> I'll, I'll put that in. Yeah. Oh, it's March number one. When JJ's talking, I'll just start doing that. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. <laughs> Can I say May is a better month? Oh. Just, just going to throw it out there. A lot of love for the M months here. Let's start with another M, Merseyside and the Merseyside derby. Tell me about Liverpool, please, AFC teammates. Do we think at this point they are choking a little bit in this title race? Yes. <laughs> Please expand, JJ. Um, I think the pressure from the, there's there's a thing that Man City players have been doing recently, where they've all been saying that uh, Liverpool fans are going to end up um, causing too much pressure on Liverpool players. It seems to happen. I think you can see in this game that they against Everton they just they were all over the place. They were all too 
too uh, in a, much in a rush to get forward. Van Dijk in about the, the second minute is uh, throwing his arms out to everyone. Like, why are you not in position to receive the ball? Why are you running around just daft going forward every single time? You had Jordan Henderson playing like peak England. Jordan Henderson hitting passes to no one. And <laughs> it, it was all just headless. There was no calm or composure. And I really think it's this uh, pressure cooker of of how uh, Liverpool fans can make it because they're so desperate to get close to this league title. But Liverpool, none of those players know how to do it. So it's all these new ground. And they'll probably, once they fall a few points behind City, they'll probably be back in form again because then there won't be so much pressure to keep the momentum up. Yeah, is there something in that? Is there something that... Uh, Will it be slightly easier for Liverpool if they uh, uh, the, the pressure goes off them a little bit? They're, they're the chasers rather than the chased. I think to a certain extent, but I just well, I just say they create derbies are always a bit helter skelter. Oh yeah, and they're always a bit pressure cookery, and Speci- it's never quite especially when it's very very windy. Especially well, as as Klopp <laughs> made very clear afterwards. I mean, they're always a bit like that. So you can't say this is necessarily evidence of Liverpool choking the fact that the, oh, the, you can the, absolutely that the derby that. was a bit like manic it's a derby it's always a bit manic and also Liverpool created three absolute clear cut chances Salah had two and Fabinho had one from about four yards out when he let the ball bounce off his knee they could have won that game quite comfortably if one of those goes in it's, 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 all, it's all fine I just think that obviously the withdrawal is bad but they've got five clean sheets in a row yeah. The defence is saying so, so solid. And they created enough chance yesterday to win that game three times. But thing, I don't see that as the best example of them choking. But I see it in little, little moments in the, in the game. So I know this is one-off, but you see it when players' technique lets them down. So when you're not feeling... When you're not hyper-aware of what you're doing, it's just natural. It's like muscle memory just comes natural. And you'll see that the, the ball will drop exactly what it to be. The pass will go where you want it because your, your technique is good. But too many players, I think, were too aware of almost where they are. Even Andrew Robertson just didn't seem quite on it. And those chances that they missed were the kind of thing you wouldn't miss when you're, when you're not thinking about it, if that I, makes sense. I would say the problem is not so much Liverpool as a team, but Salah. Salah's not putting his chances away. Yeah. Normally he would. They would win that game. That's Simple as. I feel like this is the time inc- that I should come in. Yes, please, Mimi. You look uh, <laughs> incredulous and uh, like you want to coat off Liverpool now. No, because I think that if there was ever an evidence of a team choking, I think this is it. I mean... It, this is by no means, I know that everyone wants to rush to compliment Everton and I do think that they played a game where there was higher intensity, they were actually bothering in defence for once in their lives and, and I thought it was a good performance but their shape wasn't always great, there was space in between midfields and defence, like you know, Bobby Firmino had he been there the whole time, maybe could have done more with it but for me it was the fact that there were five for me solid chances choking on all of them, you know, Fabinho, Joel Matip, Salah on three, when I was looking at them, I'm thinking, this is what happens. This is what makes you champions or this is what makes you near. You know, this is what makes you Spursy, right? Like that ability to not make the difference when the pressure is on, when you're playing Champions League finals, when you're trying to win a, a, the Premier League title. It's superstars don't feel the pressure. If anything, they thrive under it. And the fact that it seems like this was the kind of game you needed to win, knowing that City had won their match, knowing the fact that they had, what, 18 chances and Bournemouth did nothing, but they still came through, still scored a goal. And the fact that pre- uh, that ever- uh, Liverpool couldn't do it with five clear chances for me, I think that tells you, if anything, that it is the pressure because they are feeling now that this is so close and they can't get there. Van Dijk, who is, for me, a champion above all of them and by a far margin, played one of his best ever matches, which shows you where he belongs when it comes to ranking legends and great players at, at, in this season 
for any team. The fact that he was thriving, the fact that he was absolutely amazing, never felt it, remained composed, always did his bit, didn't just fall under the pressure, shows you who he is in comparison to everyone else in the league. So if you can't win these matches, then you can't win trophies, in my opinion. What do you make of Salah, Mina? What what do you think is happening with him? I mean... People were saying yesterday he missed a lot of chances. He's not, you know, the player he was. But then also he was absolutely fantastic in the week against Watford. So do we think this is a bigger blip or is he just a little bit less consistent this year? Uh, okay, so this was uh, obviously I've had so much, uh, <laughs> so much criticism aimed at me for my criticism of Salah. But this is to me the player that I saw when I was in Serie. A. You know, sometimes he'd be amazing and sometimes he wouldn't be. He's a player who needs a lot of space in which he can do great things. He's a player who needs ten chances to convert four. Um, which is still a good conversion rate, not good enough for me to be mentioned along the likes of the best players in the Premier League or even Europe like he was last season. I did think he had a blowout season, but I remember one thing that one guy wrote to me on Twitter when I was was saying that I don't think Salah is the world's greatest player ever. And he said to me, I think you're not really looking at the fact that he's playing for Jurgen Klopp and that this is a Liverpool side that are rock and roll. And I thought, you know what, that's a great point because what there was last season was rock and roll, was space where his pace can make the difference, where they were dynamic and forward going and gung-ho and all of that business. They didn't even need a Coutinho. But this season, in a, in a year when they're playing composed football, where they do actually need creativity in midfield, where they, they are less well, they're more conservative rather in the fullback positions and then you become reliant on a midfield. And it's not so much fun for Salah. It's not so much fun for Sané. Especially, I think Firmino is a guy that brings it all together. So if he's not there and he's not, and there's no Shakira coming in to penetrate through the middle, then I do think there are problems there for them in general. And that's where you do need your midfield to come through. But generally speaking... He wasn't the guy that I always could tell you was so predict was so you know convincing day in and day out. I think he's still a guy who's more suited to the proper planning of Liverpool, which is let's go fast, let's go crazy, let's find space, and hope that they don't defend him out the game in the way that Ashley Young did it last season and in the way they did it this season now with Everton. That's also a really good point in the midfield bit because if you look at the midfield he had in that game, it's very maybe industrial you'd call it. Henderson, Fabinho, Milner was on later on. So all the creativity in the attacking part of the team comes either from the fullbacks putting balls into the, the area when they don't have tall guys to hit it, or um, the front three. And so if you've got that, when, when you're playing against teams like Liverpool are coming up against now, every team is sitting right deep and blocking them the whole time. And um, there's there's not a mentality that they have in that club where they know they're going to score at some point. They keep going to till it happens, like the old Man United used to be. It just feels like they're never going to score. They just don't know how they're going to score. And you see that they don't really get to the point where they're, they're going to. And when they used to have a player like, say, Coutinho, is that kind of player who can score one for 20 yards. Like you saw Pereira for Man United when they were the same block had this weekend. Pereira scored that 25-yarder. You can't guarantee those goals, but mm-hmm. someone like Shakiri, you have that person mm-hmm. on in the midfield, so you have more attacking. And it seems that Klopp is very concerned about the balance, making sure that they're not going to possibly lose a goal in the counter-attack rather than pushing all out and I think it would be in the midfield where you'd put a more attacking player on there but they don't really have that 10 anymore This is not PlayStation football JJ as, <laughs> uh, is, as Klopp said I think uh, Mina's point about Liverpool last year being more suited to those attacking players is a very interesting one Is there not an argument that they should try and revive that uh, form <laughs> of, of, of game plan for what remains of the season Sam? Yeah I think there probably is but the fact is that having more balance and more defensive solidity has got them this far this season so sure, they are better than they were not, last season Nine games left all guns blazing isn't it? Especially if you are slightly behind the, the leaders. 
Well, I'm, I'm not, and I think Klopp made this point in his press conference. Today. It's not, it's not at panic stations yet. I mean, they're they're right up there with nine games to go. If you offered them this at the start of the season, they would snap your hand off. I mean, they've clearly improved this season. They've clearly come a long way. I don't think they need to abandon what they've done all of a sudden. It's just a few tweaks here and there, maybe, or a bit of sharpness that's been missing. Are they better this season? Sorry, just to go back on that point, because had they had Van Dyke from the very beginning, would you have not said last season they could have actually probably pushed for the title even more than they're doing so now? Perhaps, but you look at the way that the game is, their game has changed this season and the fact they've kept five clean sheets in a row. I mean, you may be right, maybe that is a Van Dyke, Van Dyke only thing, but there's no way that Liverpool aren't a more... I mean, teams this season, as JJ said, teams this season are making it harder to play against for Liverpool to play against them. They're sitting deep and yeah. they break us down mm. because Liverpool are better. And they're terrified of being hit and the quick the vertical yeah. passing, so they always yeah. sit right deep. Liverpool have had to work a lot harder. Well, one thing I would say about all this is that, and I, I, I don't. Klopp wears a guy who wears his emotions very openly. You can see what he's thinking. He's sort of, you know, he's not subtle in that sense. And I don't think he necessarily is rattled as as people on Twitter really take glee from suggesting that he is. <laughs> But he's given the impression that he is. And the fact that... Did you see the thing with the ball boy yesterday? Mm, yeah. Like, it, was, it was very funny, but like, Klopp shouldn't be... And the way he reacted... The wind thing is silly. And the way he reacted to that question, saying a stupid question about whether he's being more attacking players on. He's given the impression of a man who's on the edge and who's worrying. And that can't be helpful for anyone, whether that's in the club or outside the club, because it, it, it gives this impression of impending meltdown. I don't think he actually thinks that, but he's giving off that vibe, and I think that must make everyone feel a bit more antsy. That attacking player thing is interesting as well, because like, like he's, he's right to say you can't just put more strikers on and, and win the game, but if the way they're creating chances is, like we were saying, just those front three, and it's not happening, you need to have another way to, to create. Okay. And mm-hmm. that's when you would put... It's not about putting another striker on another forward to do that, but having that extra creative person in midfield make a big difference I thought it was interesting that XG my old friend um, <laughs> has Liverpool so Liverpool have 70 points but their expected points is 64 so they're actually kind of punching above where they should be over the course of a season they're, they're still second to Man City over um, what, what expected points would be from expected goals and all that but it's interesting that they have been overshooting so they actually are Starting to balance out now where they should be, so they're a bit more clinical than they technically should have been. In that sense, is that, yeah. is that what that is that what that means? Yeah, they've taken points that you would normally not have expected them to. So they, where they might have drawn um, <laughs> from the expected point. I mean, it's, it's been, been quite into. They've been slightly fortunate. Yeah, is what you're saying. Yeah. Talking of your old friend XG, and it, <laughs> and it is really great to uh, to see him join us in the studio. Yeah. Um, 0.0 for Bournemouth. They have disgraced the concept of your old friend of XG with their performance against Manchester City. Uh, obviously, they were walloped in the week by Arsenal. Was this uh, too much of a correction from Bournemouth? We, we don't want to be seeing these sorts of games uh, with any regularity in the Premier League, do we? No, it's just, um, like Rafa Benitez did, has done this about eight times a not, season. Not 0.0. Yeah, but no, this is not what Eddie Howe is supposed to be the next great manager, right? Like, he was supposed to be sticking to his conviction of playing beautiful football. Yeah, but they get absolutely hammered in the last few weeks. So you just want to make sure you don't get, you don't get done by Man City. And it's proven that if you just block Man City, eventually they run out of ideas. So I don't think it's fair that Eddie Howe gets a rough time for doing exactly the same as other managers. And what you need is then to get luck of the break with your counter-attacks, they just didn't get them. And City defended well when they did ever manage to get forward. It's, yeah, I think how had a game plan. What about dying worked. on your sword? What about dying in the conviction knowing that you're playing your football and if it means you get relegated, then so be it. Oh, that's They're what not going to get yeah. relegated. They're fine. 
Yeah. Might yeah. as well have a go. They're at home, away Why from home, having exactly. a terrible time away. It's usually down to your confidence, well. isn't it? If you get done 6 0. Really? Yeah. City. Everyone gets done by City. Well, yeah, are they going to really go, oh, we got done by City, we can't play Leicester next week? By all means, you get done by Fulham, and I totally get it. But, you know, it is City. If I was a player, I'd be more demoralised by having to spend all 90 minutes running around in a block and just hoofing the ball off the pitch and actually having a go. I love the line in Chris Bascom's column in Monday's paper where he said City's defenders, sorry, Bournemouth's defenders must have felt like training cones yeah but I, I actually blame City more for this <laughs> this, is, this is the problem with City basically Pep has geometrically conquered football and so teams are going into it and going right okay I'm going to have to sit I'm going to have to just basically abandon all the things I normally do I mean Bournemouth play nice football their strengths are fast attacking football using the wingers attacking fast you know yeah. being exciting but, but they me, just abandon that completely because City is so much better than everyone else no but there's but for me that makes Sorry, but the two like the teams that have managed to get over City and the teams who have actually punished them are teams that have been direct and and heavy going and very throw caution to the wind and really just go for it. From the likes of Liverpool last season when they were playing that rock and roll football to Lyon in the Champions League or really any team in the Champions League this season, they still concede a lot of goals in the Champions League. And they're facing sides that aren't that great. I mean, Schalke and Hoffenheim are, are remarkably awful, if only you could see them, you know. <laughs> and yet, I mean, the fact is, is that why not just try to have yeah. a go rather than, you know, play this kind of like football in which you're like, yeah, well, it's City, so we're going to probably lose anything. Anyway, this is exactly what we used to say in in La Liga in, in Spain. It's like, oh, well, it's Madrid and Barcelona, so let's just roll over because we know it's going to be one of these two beating us anyway. You have to still try because actually, if anything, I genuinely believe that courage, like Wolves, can do something interesting against these teams. But I just Alice. feel like it's almost like their intimidation, which is a great thing that Pep has introduced more than tactics. It's the fact that now they're a scary team and teams just want to give in. See, obviously, so, a crucial win for Manchester City at Bournemouth. But they did lose Kevin De Bruyne and John Stones uh, in the act. Uh, despite those injuries, are they kind of firmly in the driving seat now, do we think? I don't think De Bruyne's been anywhere near the... I mean, he's obviously not been anywhere near the player he was last season when he was phenomenal. But like, he's City's I, Mo Salah. <laughs> <laughs> if I was to pick a, a, a best City eleven right now, I'd probably play Bernardo Silva instead of De Bruyne in that right side of a midfield three. Oh, I yeah, him. I totally agree. Um, I think City are definitely in charge and I think they have the mentality to stay there. They have already won the league with that record points last season. They know how to cope with this. They can see that Liverpool are having a wee bit of a wobble and don't know how to quite deal with it. And I think that experience really helps. I don't know. I, I feel like it's still all to play for. I can't decide between Liverpool and them. I do think that sometimes City... You know, if they lose Fernandinho, they lose any particular player like Aguero. I think that there's a potential yeah. for them to lose and, and drop a lot of points. I still think we won't know this until the end, at the very end. For sure. Another thing as well, like teams like Bournemouth, teams will set up like this against City. It's all the teams that beat them, they do similar things to what Bournemouth did. They just had better chances to attack. It's the same shape. as always a five-four-one, and they they break in a five-two-three, and the three forwards go at them, and that's how teams like Leon and uh, Schalke yeah. got things off taken off them and it's quite it's quite likely that City will drop points and draws because teams will get it right well let's hope so no one wants a procession to the league title do they apart from JJ possibly uh, <laughs> <laughs> he has to say this in every pod <laughs> let's move on to the North London derby uh, not a brilliant game for the first uh, first large portion of it that got exciting at the end who won the tactical battle on the day JJ uh, I think I like the way that Emery changed it back to a back four. I think Arsenal are much much better than that. They had Mustafi as a quite attacking right back later on in the game, and Monreal kind of tucked in as a 
centre-back. So they were sort of a three later on. It was odd. I think Awobi has clearly improved a lot under Emery. He's a lot more direct uh, than he has been in recent weeks. Um, I think... I don't know who won a tactical battle there. I mean, it was a draw, so I guess they both won. Arsenal definitely won a tactical battle. Yeah, I think so too, yeah. yeah. Um, Arsenal showed a side to them, which I don't think many people believed actually existed, which is that they can defend deep, defend resolutely, be organised, be solid, be compact. And actually, yeah, just, <laughs> just defend quite well, which was a really encouraging thing for them. Uh, and the fact that they've had such poor form away against the big sides over the last like, five, six years, including under Emery and going back under Wenger, obviously, and they've not really shown anything this season before now to suggest they could really arrest that slide. And Emery's gone to a place like Liverpool, tried to play a high line and got battered. Clearly he's learned from that in a way that Wenger never did. And this this performance, I think, was a real sign of um, encouragement and the team's sort of development under him. And I think it's been a really encouraging week because they beat Southampton at home quite comfortably, thrashed Bournemouth and played really well in that game. And then they've gone out and shown a very different side to them, which I think bodes really, really well for next season if not this season How much are you looking forward to seeing Aaron Ramsey play for Juve next year Mina? Oh that was a nice goal wasn't it? I I honestly don't know Uh, he's very talented but people keep telling me he's quite tactically indisciplined you know Um, I think that if you give him clear instructions on what he's doing like much like they did you know like just another example of it against uh, Spurs he's a guy that has all the quality in the world to make a difference. So for that level, and considering the fact that there's not many on-the-ball players in, in Juve's midfield, he'll definitely make the difference. But I, can I just say, I've always been quite harsh on Arsenal, especially because I hate a team that can't defend. It really bothers me. But I was so impressed with the fact that they look like a team at the moment and, and that everyone, like Mkhitaryan getting all the way back to try to help out defensively. I mean, that for me is, is everything. Even so Ozil. Like, Ozil came on. And was like actually pumped up to tackle people. Although his first tackle was also a back heel. But it was like he was actually really trying to run around and press people, which is like, you know, Emery's clearly got into his head, I think. What about that every week? Because it's just a big game. That's just the thing that's so annoying about watching them is that mm. they don't do this against teams like Bournemouth. And Everton it. don't do this in any other game. Like they were great against Liverpool. Yeah. It's really annoying when these teams don't perform like this week in and week out when you know they're capable of better. Because how do you get someone so pumped up like that? You've got real incentive when it's the North London Derby. But. But also Spurs, like, you know, they didn't really have a midfield that could really control. I mean, they had to put Danny Rose in there. So I'm not sure if this was the Spurs that was, you know, that had a, a one yama that was fit and would have been sort of that capable of not giving a great challenge. Socrates is amazing. I really think he's like a brilliant player. And not just because he's really nice in the mix zone and talks to us, which is one of the few <laughs> Arsenal players who actually does that. Um, but he, he absolutely led that defence. I know Koscielny's the captain, but he was like the absolute leader on Saturday and he really shut down Kane more than anyone, which is really encouraging um, for Arsenal. And he's had a few injury problems this year, but I think when he's fit, a back two of Socrates and Koscielny is um, pretty solid. Fair point. I'm just quite disappointed you didn't attempt to pronounce his surname. Yeah, me too. Sam, me too. I always refer to him only as Socrates in copy, and I've yet to be told <laughs> off for it, so I'm not going to start doing it in voice either. Let's move on and mop up the rest of the Premier League. There were fantastic goals galore at Old Trafford in United's 3-2 win over Southampton. A very simple question. Which was your favourite goal? Uh, I liked Pereira's. It was lovely. Oh, no, but then James Ward-Prowse's free kick is unbelievable. Oh, yeah, that was so I love the way he hits the ball. I was saying it to you earlier, Tom. It's like... Um, it's it like David Beckham does. He moves all his body weight through it when he goes through the ball. He's technically very gifted. Yeah. He also gets the whole 
both feet off the ground thing when he strikes it, which has always looks aesthetically pleasing. Yes, that's yeah, I really like that a lot. I thought Lukaku, the way he took that, um, the the goal that he tucked into the corner was superb. I like that when um, when Sanchez went off as an injury, he put on Dallo, who's a right back, put him on as a right midfielder, and just went to straight four four two and just told him to attack basically. So simple, and uh, you don't you don't have to have some mad. A beautiful mind style shed of tactics to win games like that you can just get good players on the pitch and tell them to keep going and that's exactly what they managed to do Can I put Lukaku forward as the most streaky striker in the league? I've got stats to back it up Do you want the stats? Oh yes please yes. Right okay He is now right this season he started with seven goals in six games in all competitions including club and country then yeah. didn't score again until December <laughs> when he went on a run of five goals in eight matches then went on a run of nine games without scoring, and now he's got four in his last two. So all his goals come in bursts, and then he goes like two months without scoring, and then scores loads more. Now, and happened know, last season too. I've, uh, including Salah, I've also been accused of hating Lukaku. Um, and uh, I'll be honest, I'm not a fan, usually. you know, I think that he's, it's not that he's a bad striker. I just didn't think he was 75 million and the guy that I would have chosen for United at the time. But hey, I got it wrong with Morata as well, although he's scoring nonstop for Atletico. But I can't get over this Lukaku at the moment. Like he, it, for me, it's not just that he, it wasn't the goals. Take that out of the game. I thought he was really good in, against Liverpool. And he got two against Palace in midweek. Yeah, but it was Liverpool, the hard work that he was putting in, the way that he is so good when he is playing on the wing. Um, the fact that actually, I, I do think a lot of the times people just expect him to play with his back to goal because of, of how he is as a striker. But he's really good with with the ball played in right in front of him. I think that he his... I know that there's lots of talk about his first touch, which is why I was never really that keen on him. But I feel like there's been a great improvement now. And I know that he's not playing that regularly, but he is being given more of a chance now this past week, especially. And and I really do feel that he's coming on and producing the kind of thing that you would expect to see from a striker for a club like United. Perhaps deserved his hat trick on Saturday, but uh, Pogba took the penalty. Uh, I got some. Yeah, why is that? Well, he is the penalty taker, but I got some stats from our friends at Opta about penalty takers in the Premier League this season. Of players who've taken more than two, Pogba has the worst conversion percentage of mm-hmm. 62.5%. He's had eight and scored only five. Is that because of the run-up? I think so. Yeah, Absolutely. What, what, I don't understand why more players, because these players are more than good enough to aim for a corner and hit the ball really hard in that corner. Harry Kane picks a spot and whacks a ball in his corner. Why do all these players mess around? Jorginho does it, that little skip thing, didn't work against City in the shootout, really embarrassing. Aubameyang tried to sort of roll it softly and send the wrist the wrong way. Just pick a corner and whack it. It's brinksmanship, isn't it? It's the, it's the players running up thinking that they're going to see what the goalkeeper's doing and then yeah. sort of uh, changing it accordingly. But, but why do you need to do that? You're 12 yards out, pick a corner and hit the ball really hard. Kane never misses. Messi he just whacks the ball in the corner. Take a penalty is scary though. Messi doesn't whack the ball in the corner though. He always tries a little... Yeah, Nonsense it's weird. It's too. some great strikers miss the penalties, and well, the, I never get that. The two who are the, probably the most clinical from the spot I can think of are Ronaldo mm. and Kane, and both mm. of them don't mess around. It's they just smash it in the and corner. And Balotelli <laughs> like, used to be really good at it as well. Can confirm four from four for Kane this season in the yeah. Premier League, which is a completion percentage of one one hundred percent. And he got about fourteen <laughs> from fourteen at the World Cup. So uh, <laughs> I think the, uh, it's, we should definitely point out that every TV director should always use that camera where it goes behind mm. the the striker taking the penalty. It's so Finding cool. Not the one which zooms in at the last minute though. Like at the oh, League but I Cup love when you can see no. where they're placing it. Oh, it's, it's, it's so the, good. The one that's still, but they did a new one for the League Cup final where, like, at the last minute, it zoomed in. Like, what's what's the sort of. Uh, 
what's the film shot where the camera's zooming but the, the dolly's moving backwards? It's like one of those, like a femme fatale shot. Oh, yeah, it's a Hitchcock, I think. Yeah. 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 Different podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Looks increasingly nailed on as Manchester United manager. For goodness sake, he's appearing in promotional videos for new season tickets. I think, actually, I saw him at the end on, um, uh, of the game on Saturday, arm in arm with Fred the Red, the mascot. <laughs> he looks quite a lot like Fred the Red. It's a match made in heaven. It, can anyone stop him now? He's, he's going to get the job, isn't he? Actual Fred could still stop him. With <laughs> Fred, Fred the Red threw his hat into the ring. I think Spurs yeah. fans really hope that he does get the job so that they don't lose Pochettino. <laughs> yeah. I think he, honestly, the way that he is performing, his teams are performing, and how exciting it is to watch United right now. Um, just how he... It, <laughs> Again, I think a lot also will depend on how they perform in the Champions League. What can they do against PSG? Will they be tactically outdone? Because I think these are the games that matter. I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you can get Poch, you get Poch. Listen up, Edward. If you can. (laughs) Let's talk about Brendan Rodgers. Not the best start to his life at Leicester. Uh, Did you see any differences, JJ, in in how he approached this game uh, from what Puel was doing with Leicester? Um, I I don't think you can really see straight away. It'll take so long for because it's very um, it's very structured the things he does. So I mean, at Celtic, this is quite a good time to appoint a manager, isn't it? Because not only do you get the pre-season, which everyone says is so important with a new manager, but you actually get to try some things in in matches that don't really matter all that much. Yeah, that's probably true because you, you don't really have to worry about. Um, getting relegated they're going to be absolutely fine it'll take him time for his players to settle in he can see what he can do right now and then have a whole summer window to work whatever players he wants in and where he wants to go from there which should be good uh, is one of the problems when he was at Celtic is that his recruitment was pretty horrible um, he got rid of their amazing scout who found players like Van Dyke, it was John Park is his name and took in uh, someone I can't remember his name Lee Congerton I think is his name whose recruitment has not been good at all and so it'll be interesting to see how he works with Leicester's recruitment and what he brings in there. But Celtic play really nice football and we've seen Rodgers done well with Liverpool in the past and the way he makes them play. It's going to need time. It's, apparently the players love the trainings. It's already changed. He's tra- changed the training sessions so rather than a weekly plan, it's a monthly one. It looks yeah. like Vardy looks happier as well. Um, just uh, that his performance was... Yeah, he seemed to hate Puel. Really, yeah, he really did seem to hate. Rodgers has gone very big on that, hasn't it? It was a yeah. bit of an open goal, but he said, you know, I'm building the team around Vardy, he's my star man, which seems like a pretty pretty obvious thing to do, but not an unwise thing to do. Rodgers is a really good manager. I mean, obviously, yeah. he's shown that. You, mm. you, don't, you don't create that Liverpool side and get them playing that well. And bear in mind, people say, oh, Suarez, 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 but Suarez wasn't that player before Rodgers got there. He Rodgers was a big part in Suarez becoming that player. For sure, yeah. Rodgers' issue has always been PR. He's always had, had the image across, given image of, of himself, which people take the piss out of. That's the fundamental problem that he did being Liverpool show, which he had no choice over, did it. Came across pretty embarrassingly. Does things like get his teeth whitened, does things like go on, <laughs> you know, go, go on these fitness regimes, lose all his weight, and he just comes across as a guy. How dare he? Exactly. He comes across as a guy who cares, cares about all that kind of thing, and it, it creates. It makes it very easy for people to mock him. Yeah, but he can and also that, be frustrating in, in, in like tactically, like against Real Madrid, for example. And Yeah, I and mean, that season was difficult, obviously. when I mean, That was when he went to Real Madrid and basically played the B team because he wanted to qualify for next season's Champions League. Yeah. Like, what, what you, why are you prioritising next season's Champions League when you're already in this season's one? But that was, I mean, that was frustrating for Liverpool fans, I'm sure. But, but, but he's a very, very good manager. And what he's done in Celtic mm. is... Massive accomplishment. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sure gets, enough all the money taking the mick taken out of him. That's, yeah. that's his problem, PR wise. That Celtic stuff is really important. To, like what he achieved is amazing. No one's ever done what he's done with Celtic. He would have won a treble, treble if he'd stayed. Uh, which yeah. I mean, it's 
it's I know Scottish football gets a bit of a it gets laughed at sometimes because it seems like Celtic are the only team that are ever going to win everything. But he makes a he made that team that good. This is the best bunch of players, but they are playing absolutely to their very best, yeah. and th- it should not be underestimated how well he did with uh, with Celtic. Okay, but then there's, there's the. I just don't think that I think for me I remember Celtic being something in Europe you know at least a, an intimidating opponent and against Valencia he was like yeah well you know they played exactly how I wanted them to play it was fantastic yeah you lost yeah, but and I don't think the there was a real it. genuine he's not the players for it they're just not good enough to compete against European teams the wage the, the wage bill was quite similar with Celtic and Valencia because I, I, I like looking at the wages of teams so you can sort of work out you know how good the players are but Celtic have they dominate domestically, but it's a different kind of game in Europe. And to get the kind of player that can play like that, I think, costs a little bit more. And Celtic just don't have those players. And it's his recruitment as well that's not really helped. Not with big on, that sort of on stuff. budgets. Yeah, it's important. Mm. It's important. There's a lot of championship know. manager I've played. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, uh, important wins for the nonsensical rivals Crystal Palace and Brighton over the weekend. Do we think both of those teams are now safe from relegation danger? Palace were fantastic. Um, if anything, they should definitely um, definitely be uh, absolved of any suspicion that they might go down. Um, they have so many good players that if they go down, it's, it's, it's worth killing yourself over. <laughs> wow. Ooh, an endorsement of suicide. And with that, we'll take a short break. It's, um, it's amazing how much better Zaha is when he has a striker to work around. Yeah. I know he, play, he played up front for a lot of this season didn't score any goals because of injuries to Benteke now Benteke's back and Batshuayi's been signed he's just like on fire again I mean he scored eight goals this season and six of them have come when he's playing alongside a striker like an actual striker a recognised striker so how that, much that, do you think Juan Bissaka is? how much do you think he's worth? yeah how much do you think they'll sell him for? because I'd love to buy that you get, you get, I think in this market you get 50 million for Juan Bissaka 50? yeah he's 2025 20, isn't he? He's, really? he's brilliant 50? he's brilliant yeah I think he's, no, he'll be he'll be in England for. regular. I think by the end of next season. But he is so good. He is so. He's good. brilliant. Yeah, he's made more tackles than anyone in Europe. That, that doesn't necessarily mean he's the best yeah. defender, though. It's that the is such tackles, a stat you know. that, like, that. Uh, oh, as we say in Italy, that English love. Um, <laughs> I, because it depends. Because if you're in a great position, then you don't need to do a tackle, right? Exactly. But you don't need to be in a position <laughs> where you can just tackle everyone anyway, because you're so fast and so like flexible. He can just slide in and nick the ball off you. But I, think he he's, is, I think he's phenomenal. I've never seen I him play badly. Listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts. We said a sad farewell to Claudio Ranieri as Fulham manager last week. Uh, Fulham have appointed Scott Parker for the meantime, their third manager of the season. Played quite well against Chelsea, still lost. It seems now that teams that are like Fulham that are kind of in this fairly doomed-looking relegation-destined tailspin have three goes now at appointing the right manager across the season. It's a bit bonkers, isn't it, Sam? Like, surely at some point you you have to sort of bite the bullet and say, you know, we're probably not staying up this season. There's not that much point in in sacking two managers in a season. I think it would have been more bonkers to stick with Ranieri, to be honest. It was just so... I mean, everything that Fulham had built over the last three or four years was just being quite quickly deconstructed and taken apart by Ranieri um, the value of all their players was plummeting their, their most valuable asset is Ryan Sessegnon he wasn't playing uh, it, it was all just basically going to pot and 
there was absolutely no reason why he should stay because it wasn't going to change. It was getting worse by the week. And I think when you hit that point and you realise that you're down, why make the damage any worse? Just just cut your losses basically and say, right, get get rid of him and try and... As Parker, Parker spoke about, and, he, and he, I think he did yesterday in terms of the first game back and obviously a long way to go, but restore some pride, go back to the things that make Fulham what they were, what they were when they came up, pick the players who were such key parts of that promotion campaign and really sort of try and have fun with it and do what Fulham do rather than trying to be a, a, a knockoff version of a worse team and then fail. I when- think if, yeah, I think if two managers don't get it right, then you have to look at the structure of the club and how the scouting is being done and, and all of that. And you actually mentioned, Sam, a long a time ago that you didn't think many areas was the right coach and you're right. I, uh, I, mean, I thought I thought that was pretty obvious. <laughs> that, because I genuinely us... thought a defensive guy could maybe fix some problems, mm. but you really see that he didn't do any of that, yeah. and then the, the attack was worse. Where's his reputation at now, Ranieri? Is it, is it basically where it was when he came to Leicester? Everyone's like, why have they appointed Ranieri? He's a busted flush. <laughs> it's, it's hard to see him getting another Premier League job after, after this dalliance with Fulham. I just don't think he belongs. Oh, it's strange, actually. I don't. I don't know what to expect from him because from us, he's he's always been in Italy a guy who really understands how to build the foundations of a side. He's not someone that you're going to bring in and hope, like you know, who's going to do a job in saving you against relegation. He doesn't necessarily create sides that are fighters. He creates a project, and um, and usually what we used to say is he would create this great foundation for a team, and then they start to build and build. But it was getting them over the line that he didn't know how to do. You know, it was winning the major trophies and then he did that at Leicester and you're like wait hold on a second what just happened here but he's never going to be my pick to create a you know when when my side is falling and the chips are down to bring him in because he's not going to know how to work with players that he doesn't have a system for or a project in place so I think he's better off in, in another European club but maybe not the Premier League for a while the, the male ego never works like this but he should have retired when he won the league at Leicester we all knew that was the high point I think he can win another league but in another team Whereabouts in Europe do we think Germany. that might happen? Okay. Stay with Europe, Mina. Please give us your song for Europe for oh. this week. How was the Classico on Saturday night between Real Madrid and, of course, Barcelona? Oh, God, it's so boring to watch the Classico, right? It just keeps going on and on. It's like never-ending. Um, I think this is an, it was an important week for Barcelona in which it was either make or break because, you know, when they were... They were down against Sevilla and you just thought, oh, they're away from home. Sevilla's a tough team and really good at home as well. You thought this is going to go all pear-shaped for Barcelona who decided to extend Valverde's contract. I don't know why because I don't think they've been exceptional under him. But either way, they did do very well. They they managed to win that game 4-2, defeated and kicked Real Madrid out of the Copa del Rey and then defeated them in the league and effectively threw them out as, as challengers, Real Madrid. Now they're 12 points behind. Um, once again, it was the likes of Busquets, Rakitic, um, and of course, Piquet, who made the difference. You felt like they were self-assured in the way that they played their football. And Madrid are right now Madrid under Solari, which means that they, they have issues with self-confidence. Um, Vinicius is so good playing the game, but unfortunately, he's not a very good finisher. And I think they do you really feel like this team needs to be rebuilt a little on that level. Moving northeast to Germany, Bayern Munich now level with Borussia Dortmund. 
It's the curse of the Klopp teams, isn't it? A Dortmund throwing away the title. Oh, God, you know what? When you asked me this question a while ago, you thought, you know, they were seven points ahead. And I thought, no way is, is a side that's being run by Lucien Favre going to drop those kind of points. And then everything just started falling apart. They lost to Kanji and then Weigel and then and then Marco Royce, and who's just come back. And to lose to Augsburg was really astonishing because you think they had two shots and it was two mistakes that allowed them to lose and 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 allow Bayern to draw level with them on points. I honestly don't know because they are such a young side and experience matters when it comes to marathon um you know, leagues where you have to win every game and you have to be consistent. And they are thinking a lot about the Champions League as well because they do want to make a difference and they have to score a lot of goals. But Bayern maybe just have the experience over it. I just think Dortmund is such a better team. Mm. Is it a cliche to say if Dortmund get an early goal against Spurs, it could all change? Do you think that might actually happen? To well, Royce is back. Um, Alcacer has scored a goal. So there is a Kanji's back. You know, it's just that sometimes this defence makes mistakes that it shouldn't do. So I, I don't know. But I do, with the way that Spurs are playing right now, I do think they still have a chance, yeah. Paris Saint-Germain, 17 points ahead in Ligue 1. What's the point? Yeah, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, shall I quote JJ and talk to you about, you know, the budgets? Yes, please. <laughs> so their budget's 500 million. Lyon comes second with 258. So perhaps that tells you all you need to know about it. Yeah. Um, it, they are 17 points now because, you know, Lee, with all the with every game played now, they are 17 points ahead. So there's still a chance. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I agree with you. But to be honest, Juve are now 16 points ahead of Napoli. What is the point for both of them, if I'm honest? Yeah. You're, you're rather happier about Juve, though. Actually, I'm not. I would have oh. liked them to have not bothered, like, with this. I, the 2-0 against Atletico is what makes me not sleep at night. But I don't care if they win another Scudetto. No one cares. It's been like eight in a row. Really, it doesn't matter anymore. You know, like, let's just try to win the only trophy that actually matters to them. Interesting take. Let's finish on a weekend to remember for David Beckham, who had a odd statue unveiled uh, in Los Angeles to commemorate his time with the Galaxy. Odd because it's sort of got a shirt on it that looks like an actual shirt. It's, it's strange, I think, to see a statue with colour on it. Anyway, getting, <laughs> going down the statue uh, avenue, which I don't think leads anywhere good. Uh, with that in mind, which statue should we have erected outside your club's ground and who should unveil it? We had some good responses my friends on Twitter to this question, Mako says Ryan Giggs getting chased by his brother wielding a hammer. <laughs> I love that. Who's going to unveil it? <laughs> a good question. Uh, a bookmaker, I think. Mark Kelly says, given his efforts today, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and it should be unveiled by Sir Alex Ferguson. Uh, Will helpfully adds, your mum, my dad. <laughs> Very nice indeed. JJ, give us your Aberdeen shout. Uh, it would have to be Alex Ferguson would get the, uh, the statue. Is there not one already? No, there's not. No, no. Maybe really? uh, maybe he'd get a stand or something in the new stadium. I don't know, but you'd think he would, obviously, because he achieved incredible things at Aberdeen, beat Real Madrid in the Cup Winners' Cup final. They should bring that tournament back. It is the best tournament ever. <laughs> Aberdeen won it, uh, so we'd probably have. Um, I don't know. Alex Ferguson can present it himself. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who have you got, Mina? I would have said uh, Gianni Agnelli. You know the former president of Juventus. And it's interesting because this is actually one of the reasons why I became their fan is because I was huge into um, Jackie O, President Kennedy's uh, late mm. wife. And uh, she apparently had an affair with Agnelli. So had she been alive, it would have been great if she was the one who unveiled the statue. Do you know? Uh, I'm not a Watford fan, but 
I honestly believe that Harry the Hornet is the most underrated <laughs> person in football right now. And he deserves a statue to commemorate his genius and uh, excitement that he brings to match days. Oh, okay. I like the <laughs> That was a really abrupt ending. Can't, can't argue with that. I've got nothing else to say about Harry the Hornet. I like the idea of statues for mascots. That's great. Just having very strange creatures like the dinosaur outside the Emirates is cool. That'd be great. But mascots don't get enough love. I mean, the, mascots don't get the love they should. I mean, imagine the difficulty of wearing a full-size animal costume on a hot summer's, you know, August day, going out there, dancing around, jigging around, embarrassing yourself in front of all these people. It takes a, it takes a certain like, level of personality, which I think is not acclaimed as much as it should be. In this might not game. surprise you, then I was once standby to be the Aberdeen mascot. No. Yeah, I, used to, you? I used to work at Pataudry, I used to sell pies. And uh, one day the guy who didn't show up for to be Angus the Bull, so like, are you, would you be able to do it if, uh, if he doesn't turn up? It's like, yes, absolutely <laughs> yes. It didn't happen in the end, but... God, I was so excited for about an hour. <laughs> so close to a good anecdote there, John. I know. I know. I'll that have one one day. <laughs> That's your lot for this week. Don't forget you can contact me on Twitter. It's at Tom with an H. Gibbs, please be polite. Thank you. You can also contact the podcast. The address is afcpodcast at telegraph.co.uk. We will read out the very best of what you send us. Don't forget to subscribe to Audio Football Club. If you haven't already, just look for Audio Football Club in the place where you get your podcasts. You can take it from there. I've got full confidence in you. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons, and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 